Welcome to Stories from Among the Stars. You're listening to The Last Watch by J.S. Dewis. Chapter 29 Cavallon lay on the cool metal floor and tried to concentrate on breathing. Just breathing, in and out. No pain, only oxygen, only what he needed, air. It was all he could do to focus on it. It had been at least 15 minutes since Snyder and his cronies had grown bored and left. Apparently it wasn't interesting to beat the shit out of a guy who'd completely given up trying to fight back. Now he could barely move, his weak muscles gelatinized while also managing to feel like they were literally on fire. Threads of sharp pain traced along every nerve, phantom shocks left over from the volatile interfacing. With a squeak of boots, Cavallon's eyelids flickered. He squinted at the blinding overhead lights, his head hammering with each relentless pulse of his heart. Emery leaned over him, her pale features tightened in a sympathetic grimace. Emery, who he'd wanted to leave behind to die. Emery, who'd just tried to stick up for him by threatening someone twice her size with a fucking knife. After confirming he wasn't dead, she'd left briefly and now returned with a bio tool in hand. She poked at the screen and started an internal scan. Each tiny beep the device emitted cut through Cavallon's throbbing skull like a hot needle. How you feeling, boss? She asked. Great, he grumbled. How's it look? She held the tool up and gave him a stilted grin. Nothing's broken, she said clearly attempting to sound optimistic. Too badly. Two cracked ribs on the right side. You want a bone knit? Sure, he breathed. Emery loaded the bio tool, then opened his vest and unbuttoned his shirt. She injected the cartridge below his sternum, and he grimaced with the lance of pain. He didn't like shots to start with, but shots directly into swollen, bruised flesh were a special kind of painful. He remained on the ground for a few minutes while the medicine seeped in. When a thick warmth grew along the bottom of his ribcage, he knew it had started working, though his entire torso continued to throb with dull, heavy pain. There wasn't much to be done about the bruising, but at least the bones would heal. Though the worst of the pain was still the residual left from the volatile interfacing. Faint echoes of the harsh, sharp pang still twitched along the length of his nerves. How about some apexidone? Emery asked, hearteningly, holding up a vial of clear liquid. Cavallon's pulse sped, and cool relief washed through him even at the sight of it. Just the thought of the painkiller coursing through his veins was enough to alleviate his suffering, however briefly. But he swallowed hard and shook his head letting the dense pain settle back onto him like a thick, unwelcome blanket. I can't. She quirked an eyebrow. Why? Then her shoulders slumped as realization washed over her face. Oh, as in, you shouldn't? He nodded, and she gave a sympathetic grin. There's some over-the-counter stuff back in the mid-bay. Emery helped him up, then he had to pause and close his eyes to let the pain from standing upright subside. With a fraction of a modicum of relief, he realized his previously stranded royal imprints had returned to their default formation on his right arm. 
Still far too tired and far too afraid to test them, he could at least sense their willingness to respond just under the surface, a latent sensation, cued and awaiting orders. Hopefully those few excruciating moments of volatile interfacing hadn't done any permanent damage. Let's not tell Mesa, he croaked, slowly buttoning his shirt and restrapping his vest. A trace of normal Emery returned when her worried brow bent into a scowl. That's stupid. It won't help, trust me. The more I get the brass to fight my battles, the harder this is going to be. Or the more you're going to get beat up. He pushed down the pain long enough to give her a genuine grin. It builds character. She rolled her eyes. I think you've got plenty enough of that already. She didn't press him further, but crossed her arms and huffed. She clearly thought he was being an idiot for not reporting it, but it didn't matter. Mesa couldn't do anything anyway, whether or not she was the highest ranking officer left on the ship, and Snyder was unhinged. Cavallon refused to put Mesa in his crosshairs as well. Cavallon attempted to appear unaffected as he and Emery walked back to the med-bay-turned-research lab, though he knew one look at his limping gait would give him away. Luckily, Mesa paid them no heed whatsoever as she hovered over the pyramid. The device sat in the middle of the table, surrounded by six small laser turrets, red beams shining onto the golden surface. You have returned, Mesa said, still squinting at the pyramid. I am taking measurements. I think one facet may be slightly thicker than the others. We got the, uh, Cavallon began, then tossed the bloody hand on the table. This? Excellent. Mesa glanced up to smile her approval, but as her large eyes landed on Cavallon, the look quickly faded to concern. Are you all right? He quickly cleared his throat. Never better. I think this might be more what we're after, though. He produced the necklace he'd taken off the drudger captain and held it by the chains so the golden triangle medallion dangled in front of her face. Drudgers don't usually wear jewelry, right? Mesa's eyes lit up. Indeed, that looks quite promising. She lifted both sets of thin fingers to cup the medallion delicately, and Cavallon dropped it into her waiting hands. He pulled his chair out and sat, withholding a groan of pain as his bruised organs protested the compression. Emery appeared beside him with a canteen of water and three small tablets. He gave her a grateful nod and downed the pills along with half the water. Emery sat, and they watched as Mesa carefully swept the flat golden triangles over one side of the pyramid. She turned it over to rest on a different side, then repeated the process. When the medallion reached the peak of the pyramid, a quiet beep rang out. Oh, Mesa said, back straightening. A clicking preceded a subdued hum. Then a tiny panel slid open on the peak of the pyramid. Bright white, crisp, holographic screens appeared in the air. The same bulging, triangular panels Cavallon had seen the dredger captain surveying. Mesa gave a pleased shrug. That was easier than I expected. Cavallon and Emery both slid forward in their chairs, staring at the bright screens in curiosity. Dozens of displays fanned out, some layered in stacks, some individual panels, all clustered in a tight formation just over a half meter wide. 
Mesa reached out with tentative fingers to touch a screen, then swept it a few centimeters to the side. It responded, floating to the right, stopping when she let go. Exactly what they would expect from their own holographic displays, which wasn't surprising, since humans had assimilated the technology from viators. Mesa began experimenting with the screens, quickly discovering she could open new panels along the edges of existing ones, linking them together to create one larger image. Soon, she slid around the menus like she'd invented the tech herself. But each time she opened a new screen, the others shrank to accommodate. With a scowl, Mesa stood and discarded her chair. She pushed up the sleeves of her uniform and rubbed her hands together as she glared at the display. Kevalon grinned. Things were about to get serious. After only a few minutes of hyper-focused trial and error, Mesa figured out how to expand the limits of the projection so more screens could remain expanded and side-by-side side instead of stacked. When the whole display had become as wide as their work table, almost two meters, Cavallon began to wonder how it was possible. The screens projected from an opening no more than two centimeters square. He had no idea how it could project an image that wide without some degree of distortion. When he asked, Mesa's monotonous, absent-minded answer was simply, Self-refracting vectors. Cavallon exchanged a look with Emery, who shrugged and popped a fresh piece of purple gum into her mouth. Mesa finished expanding the screens and locked them together, revealing a handful of small, stationary dots scattered across a faint, white-lined grid. Just as he'd thought when he'd first seen the displays in the cockpit, it appeared to be some kind of blueprint or map, though an empty one like a blank template that needed filling in. Mesa, Cavallon began. What are we looking at? Do you know what this is? She didn't respond at first. Then, with an effort, she drew her gaze away, peering through the semi-transparent displays to stare at him. Maybe. She seemed awestruck, but also cautious. He thought he could sense a hint of fear behind her speculative, over-large eyes. So what is it, Mace? Emery asked. Spill it. Any fear Cavallon may have sensed seemed to vanish as a smile spread across Mesa's face. An honest, unhindered, full-out grin. I think this may be a Curinalta. Cavallon exchanged another clueless look with Emery. And that's what? He asked. Mesa blinked heavily, snapping out of her reverie. Right, of course. Her tone transformed from inquisitive and quiet to the steady and informative timber Cavallon had grown accustomed to. Curinolta, it is viator for, well, it is akin to boundless, a fable or so, I thought. A fable? She gave a short nod. It is a device recorded in their ancient texts, but I have never seen one, and I know of no one who has. I had thought it lost to time, if it ever existed to begin with. And it does what, exactly? It is an atlas of sorts, but dynamic, fluid mapping. Cavallon slouched and sat back, hoping she couldn't sense his utter confusion. Mesa tended to say things as if they were common knowledge, to the point where he was convinced he'd understood her, only to realize after his brain had time to chew on it a while, he had no idea what she'd just said. 
To his relief, Emery took a turn at asking the next obvious question. What the hell's fluid mapping? She grumbled. Well, this is all speculation, of course, Mesa began. But it is a star map linked to a series of beacons. The beacons send information back to the device, and the Curinalta stays up to date. How up to date? Cavallon asked. She raised her shoulders as she turned back to the screens. I am not sure. In many accounts, it is implied that they update almost instantly. Real time? Emery asked. Mesa's eyes narrowed. That is the theory, but it is not practical. There would still be a lag of some kind, unless Viators had previously perfected interstellar data transfer to a degree beyond our current capabilities. Emery crossed her arms, her tone unusually serious. What kind of information? Oh, many things, Mesa said lightly. It could be used to monitor the status of their own ships or enemy troop movement. There are many forms of military application, also simply as a record for astronomical bodies, to monitor star life cycles, system compositions, galaxy movements, a survey of the stars. It is quite fascinating. Galaxy movements? Cavallon asked, incredulous. How large of an area do these things map? There are Curinaltas in ancient Viator texts that claim to have mapped the entire universe. Cavallon scoffed. How is that possible? Mesa shook her head slowly. I do not know. I also do not know if there is even any truth behind the claims. How much does this one cover? I do not know. Her mouth pinched together like the words tasted bad. She clearly didn't have to say that kind of thing very often, and never so many times in a row. She moved forward and swept the screens around, quickly scaling up a section near the top edge. She pointed at a border of thicker white lines that ran along the top of the grid. I would theorize that this is the outer perimeter of what this atlas has mapped. She gestured to a series of static circles, spaced evenly along the edge. Some sat directly along the line, and others were a slight distance below it. These may be a series of information beacons sending data to the Curinalta. Her lips pinched as she let out a huff. This is all conjecture. Cavallon rubbed the back of his neck as he let the information sink in. If there are so many of these beacons out there, wouldn't we have seen them? Certainly not, Mesa answered. Space is quite vast, for one. Also, you would be astonished at how negligent the Legion has been in mapping the Divide. It would not surprise me if these beacons had gone unnoticed. Cavallon's eyes grazed across the map, and he found himself looking for some kind of you-are-here indication, but saw nothing. So, you don't know what this is a map of? A rueful frown pulled at Mace's lips. Unfortunately, no. I cannot tell if this map is showing our current area as opposed to anywhere else in the universe. From the lack of astronomical bodies, it can be presumed it is a section along the divide. Though I possess a moderate understanding of the Viator tongue, I am unfamiliar with how to properly read a three-dimensional map, particularly a largely empty one. Someone familiar with stellar cartography who also possesses a fluency in the Viator tongue would be better suited. Rake knows their language, he said. Does she know stellar cartography? 
better than I would, I suppose, Mesa agreed. We will have to wait for her return and see if she can make more sense of it. Mesa rescaled the image, then let out a soft huff. One thing that is quite odd. There seems to be three sectional overlays, each slightly different. How so? She reached up to the top row of screens that made up the edge of the map and expanded the area. This first level shows a complete unbroken border which trails between these larger outer beacons seamlessly. She pressed both palms into the screens. They flashed once, then a full second set of maps appeared, stacked just behind them. They switched places, and the first set disappeared. This second level is interesting. She pointed to a small symbol in the corner that had not been present on the first set. An infinity loop with three parallel slashes through it. This more or less means current. As in present? Emery asked. Mesa nodded. I would theorize that this is the active state of the map, the most up-to-date information. It shows what appears to be the same area as the first level, but with an altered border. See how here the border now skips between these two larger beacons? Emery leaned closer. And all the inner beacons are now outlined in red? Yes. Maybe they're offline? Cavallon suggested. Perhaps, Mesa agreed then pressed her palms into the map again to bring up a third set. This third level is much the same as the second, but labeled with something akin to subsequent, or next, and it shows these. She pointed to a series of slowly flashing lines that ran between the larger circles, a tiny viator symbol labeled each one. And all the beacons on this entire section of the map are marked red. Cavallon chewed his lip in silence as he stared at the crisp red circles and pulsating white lines. He cleared his throat. It does sort of make sense, right? That they'd be out of order? Viators have been all but gone for the last 200 years. I doubt the holdouts in the Resurgence War prioritized running around at the Divide, repairing data beacons for their mythological atlas devices. Mesa's brow rose and her features softened. I suppose there is some validity to that statement. The corner of Cavallon's mouth tugged up. That must have been Mesa's way of saying he was right. Mesa held her palms forward again, this time pulling back instead of pushing, and the map returned to the second level. I suppose this is the map we should work from if it is marked as the active state. Cavallon had to wonder what that made the others. Past and future? Was this a 4D map? He almost let out an audible laugh, but managed to hold it in. Emery cleared her throat, leaning her chair on its back legs and feet up on the table. So you're telling me this thing can track ship movements? In theory, yes, Mesa said. Emery gave a stilted grin. You really don't need to give the theory disclaimer every time. Her chair banged back down to the floor and she stood reaching over the wide table to point at a tiny, stationary mark from the back of the map. This guy? She dragged her finger to the left. Was here a couple minutes ago. I bet you this is our fearless EX. Only thing moving in this whole giant sea of nothing. And if it can show ship positions, I bet this is how our drudger friends found the Tempest earlier. Mason nodded. Very astute, Miss Flos. 
Emery glared at the name, but Mesa remained unfazed. It may also be how they knew of your arrival aboard Gate and our subsequent return. Cavallon shook his head in disbelief. This is absurdly powerful, he said. If the Viators had access to this kind of tech, how did they lose the war? Well, Mesa said, clearing her throat and drawing up her chin. This was clearly a topic she felt more comfortable lecturing on. As you can see, the scale is such that it is not precise. She enlarged the screen that showed the mark Emery had pointed out. This ship will not appear to have changed positions until it has progressed into another grid of the map, which could be billions of kilometers. Also, we cannot view any details about the vessel. It could be anything from a fighter pilot to a dreadnought. Kevalon leaned back in his chair, half listening as Mesa continued to rant about the potential faults of the impressive technology. He surveyed the expanded screens, and for the first time noticed a small stack on the top right that appeared out of place. Instead of white, they were colored a hazy amber yellow. They were muddled from being stacked atop each other, but he could tell they were filled with viator words and numbers, along with a series of diagrams. It looked much more like a schematic than part of a map. So though it may provide a general account of movement on a stellar scale, Mesa continued, it does have its limitations, and it is unlikely many exist, or we would have salvaged them at the end of the Viator and Resurgence Wars. The few that exist must be well guarded by the remaining Viator allies, or simply lost. Kevalon pushed back in his chair, and his bruised stomach smarted as he stood. He ground his teeth and tried to ignore it, rounding the table to stand beside Mesa. He pointed to the yellow screens. What's this? I do not know. She swept the stack open, shoving some of the map aside in the process. Unpacking it one by one, she lined the dozen panels up in a three-by-four grid. There was a file repository she explained. A sub-menu for storing data aside from the atlas information. This was the only file present. Cavallon stared at the screens for a few long moments, then reached out and slid one of the panels to the side. He could sense Mesa stiffen, but she didn't say anything. Slowly, he moved the screens into a different configuration until the small diagrams, lines, and symbols matched up along the edges. What is it? Mesa asked. He stared at it, eyes racing over the unfamiliar symbols. I don't know. Looks like schematics of some kind, but I can't read Viator. I may be able to translate. What would you like to know? He focused on an outlined section in the center of the schematic. He pointed an unsteady finger to a symbol he saw repeated many times in various forms, with a series of Viator numbers tacked onto the end after a hashed carrot symbol. Linu is the symbol for chemical compounds, she answered, then pointed to one of the labels on the left side. I am no chemist, but I believe this is hydrogen one. Then these are other isotopes of hydrogen, deuterium and tritium, I believe. She dragged her finger to a final label on the right side, larger than the rest. And she tilted her head in contemplation. Helium? He asked warily, unsure whether or not his tone reflected his growing sense of dread. Mesa regarded the symbol placidly, then gave a curt nod. Yes, I believe you are correct. 
Kevalon's eyes raced over the information again, armed with this new understanding. Lines ran from the three hydrogen isotopes into the larger label marked helium, and other symbols he couldn't interpret were lined up underneath each. What do you see? Mesa asked, curiosity evident in her voice. A bomb? He grimaced. He hadn't meant to say it out loud. Emery's chair squeaked, followed by the light padding of boots as she crossed toward them. She stepped up beside Cavallon and stared at the schematics. A bomb? Drudgers, building bombs? I don't know that's what it is, Cavallon said quickly in a futile attempt to backpedal. Mesa looked back at the screen. No, I think you are correct, she assured. This reaction appears similar to that created in the fusion rifle I was telling you about the other day. Well, what the fuck, Emery said. Since when do drudgers build fusion bombs? They may not be a race of geniuses, Mesa said, her tone taking on an unexpected sharp edge. But you are underestimating them if you think they are not capable of calculated destruction when supplied the proper motivation. Cavallon swallowed, his eyes darting between the women, unsure of the source of the awkwardness thickening the air between them. Emery gave a soft nod, her voice coming out strangely quiet. Yeah, I know, Mace. Mesa drew her neck up straight and continued, all tension gone from her voice. Besides, plans for a weapon are not of consequence. I assume our inventory of the Drudger's ship did not reveal any actual fusion bombs? Not that I heard about, Emery said. But what if these aren't the only Drudgers? What if there are others with these same plans? Cavallon realized then that Emery hadn't been told the whole story. She didn't know the device had come with a set of instructions from a real, live viator. If she did, she'd sound even more right than she already did. Emery slid in front of him and started shuffling through the menus. She pushed aside the map and schematics in favor of a panel that listed a long series of viator numbers. I don't read viator, she said, pointing at the symbol stiffly. But these are numbers, coordinates. Cavallon raised an eyebrow. For what? I don't know. But if this really is a map of all this, she said, sweeping her hands out to indicate their general area, then there's nothing out here but sentinels, which means these dredgers' friends could be headed for the Typhos or the Akora or any of the other dozens of sentinel vessels stranded out here. For all we know, they could be hopping from post to post, dropping an H-bomb on every one of our ships. And if these guys were here at Karin, then the Argos was probably next. Mesa pinched her lips together. That seems like a leap, Miss Flos. Many leaps, actually. Well, Miss Durow, Emery said, crossing her arms. That might be the case. Either way, the EX needs to know about this. I agree. Mesa said hospitably. We should continue to study the map and find out everything we can from it. When the Exhibitor returns, we will present her with only the facts. She added pointedly, narrowing her eyes at Emery. Then we will see what her decision is. Emery sighed, but nodded her agreement, and the two set to work sifting through more screens. Cavallon sat down carefully, letting out a long breath as his bruised torso smarted and his mind chewed over the new information. He worried somewhat about what Rake's reaction would be 
If she followed her original instinct when they'd first seen the viator, she'd shrug, turn the gate on, and shuffle them all through. Though it gave him some relief to know that even if Rake forced the rest of the crew to relay away, she would more than likely stay behind herself. Hell, she would probably blow the gate up behind them so the viators couldn't use it to get closer to the core. If they did find the crew of the Tempest alive, maybe she'd keep that other Titan with her to help fight. Maybe Jackin, but she'd make the rest of them go. Yet in the back reaches of Cavallon's mind, a strange sensation arose, that he wanted to be there too. Not that he would be overly thrilled with the idea of being thrust into a war right after the Legion had decided to withdraw from the Divide completely, but he didn't think he could live with it if he just disappeared through the gate and left it all behind. He had no idea why he felt that way. He clearly wasn't popular with the Sentinels at the moment. He'd just gotten the shit beaten out of him as proof. Pain twisted in his abdomen as he shifted in his seat. He braced a steadying hand on his bruised rib cage and let out a long breath. Maybe he really had deserved Snyder's wrath, but he didn't want to deserve it. Not because he gave a shit about what that asswipe thought of him, but because he couldn't stomach seeing himself that way. As just another pathetic, docile, complacent pawn getting shoved around the galactic chessboard by Augustus. He had tried to intercede. That had to count for something. Way too late, maybe. But at least he'd tried. However, even he couldn't delude himself into believing it had accomplished anything. Not really. That day, he'd started down a path he wasn't ready for. He'd had no escape route, no way to disappear, no plan for what came after. He'd just wanted to make an aimless point with a big fucking nuclear middle finger, but what good was that to anyone? It had been nothing but a crime of passion enacted out of hatred and spite. He'd been trying to right a wrong that couldn't be undone. Bombs couldn't bring someone back from the dead. He should have taken a page from Augustus's book and played the long game, made careful, calculated decisions, called in all his favors, manipulated and bribed people, honed the weapons of his own socioeconomic arsenal. Like Rake had said, fight fire with fire. But it was far too late for that now. The only way out would be through. If he could make it out the other side, maybe he'd have a chance to try again, to do it right this time. To do that, he'd need to find a way to not get killed, either by nature or the Sentinels. He needed these people to trust him, or more importantly, to make himself feel worthy of that trust. Maybe the way to do that was to simply be fucking trustworthy, to be useful, to be needed, to become one of them. If he made his own mark, he could disassociate himself from fucking Augustus once and for all, and to do any of that, he would have to see this through to the end. That's all for now. Thank you for listening. Make sure to follow Stories from Among the Stars on your preferred podcast app to get the next episode. Or if you just can't wait, you can find The Last Watch and its sequel, The Exiled Fleet, wherever books or audiobooks are sold. Thank you. Thank you.